3: Hi, my name is Willie Nelson. And uh, I feel great about being Conan's friend.
4: Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are going to be friends. Yes, I can tell
0: that we are going to be friends. Hello there, this is Conan O'Brien, kind of working on my... DJ voice these days. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Hold on, Sona, what are you on your phone for while we're doing the opening of the show?
1: I'm paying attention. I laughed at what you was, you were
0: saying. You, I, I, I swear to God, I, I'm starting the show, and you know I'm starting the show, and I look over, and you're holding your phone and replying to, who are you replying to?
1: Honestly, Liza. My wife. Yes. I don't
0: reply to my wife. Okay. I haven't responded to any of her emails in like four years, but we have lawyers for that.
1: So, what? What do the lawyers do? What Trust are you me. talking about?
0: <laughs> we have what's called a slow divorce. Force going? <laughs> Liza and I are separating over a 35-year period very slowly. And this is the first thing is no email exchanges for a year, but we still live together uh-huh. and uh, we're quite affectionate, but this is the slow, this is, it's a slow separation. Imagine uh-huh. paint slowly peeling off a house. <laughs>
2: okay.
4: um, but no anyway, uh, I can't sorry. believe you were on the, f- yeah, just put that away. second I... time in recent memory yes. this has been on the Turn it over this. so you can't
1: see Matt, what are you yeah. doing real quick? Oh, I'm Sorry. Yeah.
0: I'm getting on my phone. He doesn't have a phone. (laughs) Matt has a pneumatic tube. Messages go. (laughs) I live at Home Depot. (laughs) Yes. He's so in love with technology of the 40s. (laughs) And he opens it up and there's a vacuum sound. (laughs) Oh, look at this. Hmm. Does he just
1: have tubes going to all his he friends' houses? He has tubes houses?
0: going to all his friends' houses and the different <laughs> stores he uses, he has pneumatic tubes going everywhere. <laughs> Excuse me, fellows, I've got to check this
4: out. No, you better be careful because you recently texted me some uh, blackmail information, some collateral about uh, you. Oh, we'll Luke get to that right? in a second. Oh, I promise we okay. will get to that yeah. in a
0: second. I just want to establish right. uh, 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 that Sona is going to be off the phone from now on. I'm okay? off the
1: phone. I was listening to you, though. I could do both.
0: No, no. Your whole generation thinks it can multi task. And that's why so many people are dying.
1: Oh, what? Yeah. Come on.
0: Your generation's like, I'm going to send this text and clean this shotgun. (laughs) Kablooey.
1: Oops. (laughs) You sound like such an old man. It's true. You always do everything.
0: Oh, I'm going to operate on this eye while I pick out the right emoji to send to (laughs) my friend. Oops. (laughs) Blind for life. No, it's true. These are all, you know what I'm reading from? The newspaper. Oh,
1: really? Yeah. Which newspaper?
0: Oh, please. The one everyone reads.
4: Oh, that one. Okay. Has Have you even said the title of this podcast? Or-
0: <laughs> yes, oh, well, who cares? If people have clicked on <laughs> Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, I love that you're such a stickler. You're such an anal stickler. Boy, it sounds like a device. Um, what? Freshen up the marriage. I bought myself an anal stickler. Uh,
1: oh, man. Excuse me. Oh. This
0: is good stuff. Hence the divorce. Oh, Please, it's a slow divorce. It's a 35-year slow separation. By the time you finally separate, the kids are like in their 50s and they don't care. Uh, No, it's, uh, what I'm saying is true. What I'm saying is exactly true. Oh, okay,
1: if you say it's true, then I guess it's true. The newspaper that everyone reads says that my generation blinds people. Well, you multitask too much. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm good at it.
0: No, you're not. Clearly not, because you didn't even know we were doing a podcast.
1: I heard what you said. What did I say? You
0: you there said, we go. You, guilty. You, <laughs> By the you, way, guilty. Uh, guilty. You
1: say you sound but like, like an old but you are not podcaster.
0: the
4: model of focus yourself. Yeah.
0: I think I am a laser beam. I am a Come laser on. beam of focus. You, you could know. use me to open a bank safe.
4: You're napalm. <laughs> You're just a globulous
0: burning <laughs> mass. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I defoliate trees, uh, but uh, so yeah. what? No, but I will say that I didn't think it was
4: necessary
0: to say, and this is Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, the podcast where,
4: you know what I mean? I think I was just trying to undercut the bickering and get us back on track. Thank you. you know? hmm. yeah.
1: Although you did gang up on me, but thank you.
4: I'm sorry. I do apologize about that because if I don't have you, I don't have thank anyone. Thank you, Matt. Forgive yeah, me. We have to stick
1: yeah. <laughs> Uh,
0: what is that's that? That's the pneumatic tube. But you just got another <laughs> message. Your, uh, okay, let me your, read this text your straw boater me. is ready. You just—you have to drive to Los Feliz to the hat blocker from you.
4: From you. In fact, <laughs> you said. Anyway, yeah. thanks for your expertise and know that I have a working 1940s true, rotary phone true. in my office that I use regularly. Oh. Fine ammunition for our next. Few Ooh. Days. I did.
0: I thought that it would be only fair to be yeah. honest with you that I'm just as bad as you. Uh, Andy Richter, uh, a bunch of years ago, gave me a repurposed 1940s phone. It's gorgeous. It's got a rotary dial and um, just that great heavy weight of an old phone. And I have it on my desk, and it works because the electronics have been updated. And uh, I love picking that thing up and making a call. Yeah, (laughs) No, I know, but I— Yeah, go ahead. Fine. When I do it, it's cool. Uh, it's so cool. But I love yelling into that thing. I become a different person. You know the way you, when you put on a certain kind of like a, a really good suit, it does change the way you carry yourself? Mm-hmm. When I talk on this phone, I start telling people, there's a fire at MacReady's Barn. Get all the boys over there. See? What do you hear? What do you say? We got to go. Come on. Hey, you. I'm, I'm just, I love that. I love, you know, we've got to get some more milk. Where's the milkman? You know? <laughs> I want to, I want cream in a giant glass pitcher. Uh,
1: if you know what though, if Matt did this, you would just not. I don't think so. Him. You
0: know what I would I would do? I would be understanding and I would I appreciate Matt. Okay. Is it Max or
4: Matt? I don't know. It's been a while. Well, why don't you call me on your Klondike 6500 Ooh, phone I would love find that. Out.
0: Hello? Operator, get me Klondike five two two. Yes. Private eye. <laughs> Generic private eye. Max Gorley, private eye. I want Max Gorley, private eye. Hey, I hear you're the top dick
4: in this town. Everything's Jake, see? What's the yeah. case?
0: <laughs> I want you to tell this son of obsession. She's a leggy dame who likes... <laughs> I think she's buying gummy bears down at the wharf that are laced with PCP.
4: She's a shady type.
0: She's always high as a kite. Oh. I think she likes those jazz cigarettes. You know
1: what I'm saying? She gets them
0: from the sailors down at the wharf. I want you to tear. She's
4: that. a reefer addict from way back. She's
0: got giant hair.
1: What the hell? Massive hair. I don't like this bit. This could be
0: a rough one. You're gonna to have to go to Altadina. It could get nasty over there.
4: Altadena's six five hundred. six
1: two
0: two. We're looking for a son of obsession. Disappeared, eh? Took off with some spiked gummy worms, did she?
1: <laughs> I can't even join in on this.
0: No, you can't. Uh. You know why? You haven't spent thousands of hours watching shitty old movies.
2: Like Matt Gurley and I. (laughs) Uh-huh.
0: I would be so happy if there was still an operator. It's kind of what Siri, I guess we've come back around. Because it used to be, we'd just pick up the phone and go, Hello, Beatrice? Connect me (laughs) to Matt Gurley. And Beatrice would be the local operator, and we've come back to that now. Siri?
1: We have not. In a way we have. You know, Siri's like, hey, Siri, what's the temperature today? Or,
0: Siri, find me a sex shop that doesn't rat out celebrities. (laughs)
1: That's so, (laughs) that is so specific. Not that
4: specific.
1: It's very, very specific.
4: The one on Robertson. Oh, Oh, this must be Conan O'Brien. This is Conan.
0: (laughs) Conan, you were just there two weeks ago. I know, Siri. (laughs) I wish Siri was like Beatrice, the old operator. Oh Hownin, you seem to have a problem. you've been to that sex shop nine times in two days. <laughs> That's none of your business, Siri. I've got to get myself an anal stickler, and I'm in a rush. See? <laughs> Oh no! All right, we have no time for this foolishness. I want to call it Sona.
1: You haven't introduced me and Matt yet, have you?
0: Oh yeah, this is my assistant Sona, <laughs> a fourteen-year-old girl who's addicted to her phone, <laughs> and uh, Matt Gorley, someone I respect who's very good at his job. What the wow. fuck?
4: What? Wow! Sorry.
0: I do respect you, Matt. You do a very good job, and you
4: know it. Thank you. I appreciate. It. And so do you. Oh, this got awful.
1: I hate this. This, this
4: one. Yeah, part's this awful. This is gross. Let's just go. To hey, the you're trying to turn
1: show. me this and Matt against each other. I know what you're doing. Yeah. It's working. My guest today. Uh, we there's no time to waste. There's no time. You have to do it.
0: Yeah, and I will do it right now. And you're going to be quiet. My okay, guest today. So, no, seriously. We have a legend on today. In yeah. addition to me, that's two legends. Here we go. Oh, That God, was insane.
1: That's
0: <laughs> insane. <laughs> Even guess what? Even I. Even I'm ashamed. Even I'm
4: ashamed. This is a redheaded. Stranger and a (laughs) red-headed monster narcissist megalomaniac.
0: That's a little long for an album title. Uh, No, I am seriously (laughs) awed and thrilled. My guest today is a legendary musician, a Grammy award-winning singer and songwriter with 70 studio albums. His latest album, First Rose of Spring, is available now. He also has a new book, which is absolutely fantastic, Me and Sister Bobby, True Tales of the Family Band. I am honored And just floored that he is with us today. Willie Nelson, welcome. You've been very good to me. You and Waylon Jennings came on my late night show. I think I was just about three years in. I couldn't believe that I was in the same room with you guys. And I'll never forget this. You handed over your iconic guitar trigger that you've had every great artist in the world sign the things fallen apart and you said sign it and you said and don't just do it with a felt tip you gotta take a ballpoint pen and you gotta <laughs> dig it in there and sign it and I signed my name so small cause I was ashamed I was ashamed to be on that great guitar
3: <laughs>
0: it's the smallest I've ever signed my name
3: Leon Russell is the guy that started all that he had me sign his guitar one time and I said, fine, I'll sign yours if you'll sign mine. And he was the first guy to sign my guitar.
0: Well, it is amazing. I cannot believe you've kept that guitar going. All your fans, I mean, that guitar is as big a star as you. That guitar, they set it out on Absolutely. stage before you perform. They put out Trigger. <laughs> and fans rush up to take a picture Of Trigger, Uh, (laughs) and otherwise, if someone didn't know better, unremarkable Martin nylon string guitar. You and that guitar are equally famous, and it's still with you. Where is Trigger right now?
3: You got it nearby? Oh, it's right back over there. All right. Well, just take care of that thing, for God's sake. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My favorite guitar player uh, has always been Django Reinhardt. Mm -hmm. He played a D'Angelico guitar, and... I tried to find one that sounded like his and it took a long time to find Trigger, but I I finally found one. You know, it's incredible. You just mentioned Django
0: Reinhardt and that's kind of where I wanted to start. And I'm going to say this about anyone who endeavors to be artistic in any field. You are the example that I like to use of someone who refused to compromise and demanded to do it their way. You were not a snob or singular about it. it has to be one style You grew up as a boy, and I didn't even realize this, in your little uh, community in Texas, you were hearing uh, not just the blues and not just spiritual music. There was a Czech population, so you were listening to polka.
3: Absolutely. And the SPJSC Hall was just six miles south of uh, Abbott where I grew up. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of Catholics there and uh, they liked to drink beer and dance. So they... <laughs> Willie, I know about the Catholics, okay? You, you don't have to lecture me about the
0: Catholics. No, it was, it was I'm it quite, was I'm quite familiar with, and I'm sorry they were around, but what are you
3: going to do? What are you going to do? Join them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, you know it's amazing because you mentioned you know you drew on all these different styles you had to you learned to play polka and you didn't have i think some people get very set in their minds about what makes say great country music it didn 't feel to me like that was ever your interest. you wanted to make music and you drew on anything that you
3: could get your ears on
0: literally anything
3: yeah, I loved all kind of music and still do and uh, my sister plays everything beautifully, and uh, she could play songs like Stardust, Moonlight in Vermont when I was really young. So that was a brand new thing for me, and uh, I learned a lot just sitting on the piano stool.
0: Yeah, I, I want to mention this. This is as good a time as any because you just mentioned it. You've written uh, a book with your sister, me and sister Bobby, and this is the story Willie Nelson and Bobby Nelson of you and your sister. This is an absolutely lovely book. It's heartbreaking at times. It's beautiful. You'll do a chapter, then she'll do a chapter, then you'll do a chapter and she'll do a chapter. And you're both amazing musicians. It feels like you're trading licks. It really does feel like you're trading (laughs) licks about your incredible life. It's a beautiful book. It really is a book about family and it's about despair and it's about pushing your way through that despair. The sheer volume of difficulty that you and Bobby went through is mind-boggling.
3: Well, yeah, especially little sister. She had to go through a a, a lot of real bad things.
0: Something I love about the book is how candid she is about the pain she experienced growing up that you both experienced. You're both very candid in this book. You both have each other, and you have uh, your grandmother— your parents are out of the picture pretty early. Uh, you have your grandmother and your grandfather. He passes away when you 're fairly young, and your grandmother is really the rock who you hang on to and you 've got you and your sister it 's unbelievable how candid she is about her different relationships, her unhappy marriages, losing her kids at one point only to and then later to get them back. Your difficulty in the business. Uh, I don't think most people really understand, Willie, what a hard time you had for years getting started.
3: I was just talking to somebody a while ago about one night in uh, Ridgetop, Tennessee, where I used to live. Uh, me and Hank Cochran, a good songwriter, buddy of mine, <clears throat> and we decided we'd write some songs. And we wrote seven songs. And the last song that we wrote was What Can You Do to Me Now? And the next day, my house burned. Yeah.
0: Yeah, your house in tom- bur- burnt down. Uh, I right, right. It's because you wrote that song. So I just want to put that out there to the insurance company in case you got any money. I think they should get that money back. Uh, <laughs> but first of all, you sold encyclopedias door-to-door for a while. Yes, I did. And you were pretty good at it. Do you ever think I should have stuck with the encyclopedias? (laughs) Well, I'm back selling books again. (laughs) That's right. You got me helping you, too. And guess what, Willie? I'm not getting shit. I'm not getting paid anything. (laughs) I can't believe. You know, one of the things that's so, your personality comes through so strongly in this book and your sister testifies to it, you were always smooth with a line and people always liked you. You were likable and you would use that. You used everything you could to get by. So when you were selling encyclopedias door to door, you still remember how you'd get your foot in the door. These people couldn't even afford an encyclopedia and you felt bad about it, but you had to make some money. You would sell them a full set.
3: Well, I sure tried. You know, we uh, uh, I'd get on the phone and call people on the phone. I had to connect with the phone department so I could get all the new phone listings. So uh, I'd call them up and try to say, hey, I'm with the American Association, not trying to sell you a set of books. Just want to talk to you about it. If we put one in your homes without the normal cost. Would it be something that you would appreciate? Thank you very much. I'll see you at seven o'clock.
0: Yeah. And then you'd show up and get your foot in the door. And say, I'm yeah. going to sell you something more
3: valuable than gold. I think that was your line, wasn't it? A friend of mine, Jerry, she had back then was my trainer. He took me out to show me how to do it. You know, And one time we were in this house and these people said, well, uh, well, uh, we never make a decision like this and spend this much money. It was like three, $400 yeah. without praying about it. And Jerry said, Oh, by all means, let us pray. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got on the
3: ground, you got on the, he you got, got on your knees. All, we all got a, got well, <laughs> and when it was through, they said, well, I don't think we can buy them because, uh, well, the Lord didn't tell us to buy these books. And Jerry said, well, he didn't tell you not to, did
0: he? <laughs> <laughs> well, Willie, I'm going to get on my knees for me and Sister Bobby. And I'm going to tell everybody, if you want, this is just a fin, absolutely uh, beautiful book. And I think it's inspirational. I mean, I can't even begin to list all the jobs you had besides selling encyclopedias. You sold vacuum cleaners. You you did uh, auto simple auto repair. Uh, you were a DJ for, I mean, a... a a piece of your career, and you were you were good at it. Oh, I had fun. What do you think made you a good DJ? I'm full of bull, you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Willie, let me tell you that helps a lot in this. Uh, I've relied on that plenty in my career just to get by. But uh, you know, you've always had a great sense of humor. I'm told that Johnny Cash, when he was feeling down, used to pick up the phone and call you and say, Willie, tell me a
3: joke. And he wanted a dirty joke. Yeah, more than once that happened. And, uh, you know, I always had a dirty joke for him.
0: (laughs) You just always had, and if you heard one, you'd go, I got to remember this for Johnny. This will help Johnny out of the blues. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like a sign on the whorehouse said, sorry, we're closed, beat it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: you
0: know uh it's amazing in this story that you tell and that your sister tells you obviously have talent and early on you you start writing songs and you start having some success as a song writer but nashville wanted to put you into this formula and i've seen the pictures we've all seen the pictures of willie nelson in the 1960s in nashville and you're wearing a turtleneck and a sports jacket and you've got a short haircut. And anyone who sees it now says, how did this happen to Willie Nelson? It's because you hadn't figured out how to get out of that system yet and how to just
3: be yourself. Well, that's true. I mean, there was a certain thing you did uh, and certain things you didn't do. And uh, uh, I couldn't, you know, go along with a lot of it. So I decided I'd come back down here where, you know, I play the broken spoke or whatever and they don't care what I wear.
0: Right. And it's a, it's an amazing transition because you're living uh, in, in uh, Tennessee and you're working in Nashville and you're trying very hard to fit a certain... Mold, And you had a lot of despair. I mean, I saw this in that terrific Ken Burns documentary on country music. You got once so full of despair, you lay down on the street in Nashville (laughs) and thought, I hope a car
3: runs over me and you just lay there. Uh, Fortunately, it was around midnight and and there wasn't that much traffic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. Thank God there was no traffic that night. Can you imagine someone driving? I mean, I'm just thinking about the driver's perspective. Oh, look, it's Willie Nelson lying in the street. I think I'll just go around him. I think people, uh, I mean, there was so much despair. Then your place burns down in Tennessee and you say, screw it to put it a little more kindly I'm out of here and you came back to Texas and then I I mean I've seen the footage you transform you become more and more organically yourself you got the bandana you've got the hair you've got the beard and you're playing the kind of music you want to play with your friends and everything explodes for you
3: well yeah it was a good decision uh I came back down here where I knew everybody and they knew me. We had our first 4th of July picnic and uh, those went great. So we had 2, 3, 10, 15. People enjoy getting together, throwing away all their political ideas, uh, whatever they might have or whatever, and listen to music. Yeah. And uh, I found that to be a, a good therapy for me too. What's amazing is
0: to see you... When you fall into that groove and you're playing with your friends, you're playing with Waylon and you're in in Texas and you're letting your freak flag fly and you're finding that music, it's all working for you. You look so happy, like it took years and years and years, but you finally became the person you always were. Does that make sense? Well, pretty much,
3: I... I didn't change much. I haven't changed much since I was a kid. Uh, I've pretty much stayed the way I... Nothing really has happened to make me change my way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And that helped a lot.
0: I've always had this theory. I don't know what you think about it. But for years, I was trying to be a certain kind of person that I thought people wanted me to be. And the minute I got... I, I just gave up on that and started to more do things that I thoroughly enjoyed and more thoroughly be myself is when I really felt like I connected with my audience. And I feel like, On a much bigger scale, that's what you did.
3: I think so. And uh, Leon Russell showed me a lot and taught me a lot about people and uh, uh, music and how to entertain a crowd uh, and how much influence music can have on people and uh, and vice versa. There's a great energy exchange that takes a place out there. And uh, it's something that I'll start to say money can't buy, but maybe it can.
0: Well, it's good to, you know, I always say I do this job for free. And then I make sure we edit that part out because <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I like the money. I think you like the money. Uh, oh, yeah. and uh, But it is true that you get into this place where watching you and watching some of those shows, especially uh, from the mid-1970s or after 75, from 75 on, I would say, with uh, Red-Headed Stranger, I see... Anyone who enjoys the vibe at a Grateful Dead show was getting the same thing watching you and your friends play.
3: Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's still the same way because audiences, Rolling Stone audience, my audience... There's pretty much the same people, Uh, the people who really enjoy music, getting together, clapping their hands. That's a pretty good therapy itself, just clapping your hands. Uh, I read this story about this guy in India who got up every morning, ran down the street clapping his hands and singing. Next thing you know, people are joining him. And then there was hundreds of people out there in the morning. Their ritual was singing and clapping their hands.
0: I hope he's gotten some help since then. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> they has some good shit over there.
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, I think one morning that's fine, but if he starts doing that every day, it, you know, you got to start wondering what's he smoking and uh, is he okay? And uh, <laughs> Yeah, and did he get back home already? Right? He- <laughs> <laughs> the running and clapping has got to stop. Uh, you know, I have to say something that. Uh, I didn't appreciate, I've always been a fan of your music and then it took a while for me to realize what an incredible guitarist you are and a singer songwriter, it's always felt to me doesn't have to be a great guitar player, a singer songwriter can be, and I don't mean to disparage them, but a Dylan or a John Lennon can be a a fine acoustic uh, player for banging out a melody, they just have to be able to do their song, you are an incredible artist on on the guitar, Thank you. and I was going to say you're a much better guitar player than you have to be.
3: <laughs> well, I always overdid everything. So. <laughs> I mean, I just enjoy
0: some of the solos you play, uh, especially on Trigger. They're incredibly evocative. They almost bring tears to my eyes. Uh, they're, they would if I had emotions and a real soul. Uh, really, I don't know what happened. I lost that a long time ago. But but, but yeah. um, your playing is so beautiful. And it's so interesting that you say you're influenced by Django Reinhardt because I think there might be people out there right now not who don't know who he was. But he was a player from the 1930s and 40s 50, who played because he had been in a terrible accident his chord hand, he could only use really two fingers. People told him, you'll never play the guitar again. His accident happened you know, while he was a guitarist, and he developed a style. And I think it's, it sounds somewhat similar to
3: you in that you were... Determined. Nora Jones, you know who she is. She said uh, that I played like Django with one finger. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Let's
0: pretend
3: that's a compliment.
2: (laughs) I thought it was. (laughs) Uh,
0: You know, and I was was amazed too that I think your decision to amplify, to just drop an amplifier in Trigger and say, no, I'm not going to go with this with a big electric. Uh, That's what everybody else does. I'm just going to put an amplifier in this, essentially, uh, classical guitar, this beat-up classical guitar, and one of the things I got to tell you is I always know it's you. Even before you start singing, if I've got the radio on and I hear that guitar, I know it's you.
3: Yeah, it's got its own sound. It's got its
0: own thing, and I think it sounds like you, and your voice, and that, I don't know how long it took you to figure out, this is the sound for me. You must have known pretty quickly, this is it.
3: Well, again, it's like when I heard played the guitar, uh, it reminded me of the D'Angelico guitar that Django yep. played, and I really love that sound. And so, you know, I've hung on to that guitar, and, and instead of uh, trying to play another guitar, I put some uh, wires in there and said, keep it yeah, going, yeah. you know, it, Uh, Your sister
0: was an incredible incredible piano player and played the Hammond organ and figured that out. And I mean, she tells her story, but the theme of this book is really family. You guys, no matter what was happening, you'd always find a way. Sometimes you'd be living in different parts of the United States. You always found a way to come back together. And that seems to have been a big theme in your life, having so many, keeping everyone close.
3: Yeah, we still say hello every day. That's it? Hello? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: hello. Goodbye. Hello. Okay, well, what a rich relationship.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. You, you, some, some things you don't have to put Exactly, in exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it's nice to
0: throw one other thing in there, you know, but... Uh, like love. Whatever, or just, you know, may I hold, you know, uh, oh, look at that tree. Um, you, you see why no one wants me to write a song. <laughs> uh, I did a concert tour it was mostly comedy but I threw some music in there and I would I don't know if you remember this song, but I would end every show with On the Road Again yes. I would play it mm-hmm. that's an absolutely gorgeous song I butchered it <laughs> <laughs> I probably hurt that song standing and I apologize for that I've always I've always felt a little guilty about that but good lord does that get people moving that song
3: well yeah thank you for singing
0: it I'd love to hear you do uh, it no you really don't <laughs> <laughs> If you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. Come on. If most people are being honest... this show is sponsored by better help we all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about get off our chest i have that all the time don't you sona i do yeah and we need people to talk to and we carry around different stressors we carry big stressors we carry small stressors uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up, and I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know. I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I, it's not a good match? I, then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H E L P dot com slash Conan. You know, I got this nice package from Willie Nelson, and I'm so excited. When you get a package from Willie Nelson, you think one thing, don't you, Sona?
1: I hope for some type of marijuana. (laughs) Yes, that's (laughs) what. Yeah.
0: And what we get is coffee. Now it looks good. It looks good, Willie. Don't smoke it. Too late. Too late, Willie. I, s- I smoked four pounds of coffee, and uh, I've been up for seventeen days. Uh, but I wrote some incredible music. No, you sent me. I mean, you've got Willie's remedy uh, dark roast whole bean coffee, and it says organically. Gro- it's made of organically grown American hemp. I'm just saying. When I saw hemp, you understand, it's in a brown paper bag, and it's hemp from Willie Nelson, uh-huh. why there'd be a misunderstanding.
3: No, no, no,
0: no. Don't go there. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. You smoked pot on the roof of the White House. <laughs> what do you mean, don't
3: go there? I heard about that. What do you mean there. you heard about that? You were there.
0: You can't say, I heard That's about that. tell me.
3: <laughs> you were there. I almost remember it. <laughs> 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 Willie, I got
0: to tell you something. We are at a time in our nation's politics where people are very divided and there's a lot of anger. I think everybody can agree that smoking pot on the roof of the White House is something that could bring the United States together,
3: <laughs> I think. Yeah, brought me together. <laughs> and it was with Jimmy Carter's uh, son, I believe. Oh, Chippo, yeah. We also uh, went down to the basement where they have a bowling alley down there. And uh, I didn't bowl or nothing, but we then we that night I got to sleep in the Lincoln bedroom. Uh-huh. So that's a pretty cool place. Right,
0: so can I just paint the picture You're on the roof, getting high then you're in the bowling alley in the basement of the White House and then you're in the Lincoln bedroom probably having much better dreams than Abraham Lincoln ever had. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. I'm told, I'm a historian. Lincoln used to hang out in that bowling alley sometimes. <laughs> and when the Civil and War- up was- on the roof. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when the Civil War wasn't going well, he'd, you know, he'd toke up a little bit and then he'd, uh,
2: <laughs> he'd
0: go to bed and uh, everything,
2: <laughs> everything was co- uh, after, that's
0: right. After that, uh, I cannot believe. I think this is your. Is this your seventieth album that you've just put out? Uh, you, sounds about right. Are you even counting at this point? I mean, that's just. Oh no, 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 no! It's uh, it's incredible, and I would think that you have pretty much. You know, you, people say like, well, they look at someone like a Willie Nelson, they say, well, he's must have met everybody that he wanted to meet. I can't think of a recording artist that you haven't worked with. Was there someone who you idolized that you didn't get to work with?
3: Well, yeah, I would have liked to have done something with Hank Williams. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. uh, uh, But I was fortunate enough to get to uh, play with a lot of my heroes like Bob Wills. Yeah. In fact, uh, when I was 14 years old, I booked Bob Wills. I was was the promoter on a gig in Whitney, Texas. And I... Bought him for, I think, a thousand dollars back in those days. Paid him off and didn't make a quarter, but I booked Bob Wills. So, in in a way,
0: you made no money, but you got to meet him, which is which is the things we will do
3: to meet our heroes. And I uh, got to sing with him. Uh, and uh, the funny part of it was my phrasing is kind of crazy, so uh, he say, "I didn't know where to come in and do my aha's.
2: <laughs> That's right. <Ah-ha. laughs> I know that uh-huh. aha. That's it. I used to do that when
3: I wanted to tease
0: my brothers. I'd go,
2: ah And they would beat the
0: living shit out of me, Willie. Uh, But I had it coming. So you never got to meet Hank Williams? Did you
3: ever meet him? No, I never did. I always wanted to, but he passed away before I had a chance. He was only 29 when he died. I know,
0: I know. You just mentioned your phrasing, and I was thinking about it. Your phrasing is... Very distinct i don't know if i'm if I'm describing it correctly, but it feels like you're almost it's like you're risking being behind the beat. Is that a fair way to say it phrasing yeah the, the way that you, yeah it's it's like you're holding back just a little bit and it works beautifully and it's distinctive to you but it it's not right in the pocket, so to say. Is that
3: right? Well, my favorite all-time singer is Frank Sinatra. And one of his greatest, uh, you know, talents was in phrases. And uh, I learned a lot by just listening to Frank. And
0: again, who would have thought that you would list as your people that inspired you, Django Reinhardt or Frank Sinatra, But to me, it's having a liberal, I don't mean this in a political way, but a liberal open mind that's open to anything. And if it's polka, it's polka. Or if it's Spanish music, it's Spanish music. And there are a lot of people that might think, well, if you grew up in this rural area in Texas, you might only be exposed to one type of person. And you made it very clear that you worked, you had to work in the fields picking cotton. And so you were meeting and talking to and befriending black people, Hispanic people, uh, European immigrants. You met everybody.
3: My grandmother used to say the definition of music was anything that's pleasing to the ear. Wow. I thought that was pretty good.
0: Yeah, and, and not, not getting rigid about it. Not getting, <laughs> and, no. and, and in no way being... Uh, Uh, As something that breaks down walls. Absolutely. Makes people feel good. I mean, you said for you, growing up and experiencing, and for your sister, all kinds of difficulties and heartbreaking situations, music was what could make you feel better. And so for you, writing that music was trying to give that to somebody else.
3: Yeah, and some of my greatest experiences was out working in the cotton fields with the african Americans and with uh latinos with everybody uh and i would i would get sung, they would sing to me and every you know i'd hear the mariachi singing over here and i'd hear the blues over here so i learned a lot about music just by picking cotton did you go
0: back there ever i mean i know it's a tiny place but did you go back to this this tiny little place that you were from abbott texas
3: Absolutely. My sister and I uh, own uh, the uh, Methodist Church there in Abbott, and uh, they still have services every Sunday, have music and whatever, and they're doing well down there, so... uh, yeah, we still have connections and have it.
0: I was fascinated too. It's in your book that you taught Sunday school for a while.
3: I did, and I did. Uh, you enjoyed it. Oh
0: I, yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, until they asked you, they found out what you did for a living. Is that true they they weren't <laughs> They weren't too thrilled with a Sunday school teacher who played honky tonks. Is that
3: right? What well, the funny part of it was, oh, I was playing to the people on Saturday night that I was singing to on Sunday morning. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, there's this great part of the book where you're teaching Sunday school. And, yeah, you'd, you'd, sing, you'd sing to them on uh, Saturday night. Sunday, they'd be there a little hungover, but they'd be there at church. <laughs> but then uh, one of the church uh, dignitaries came up and talked to you and said, well, you're teaching Sunday school. Can I ask you what you do? And he was telling you, he didn't think that uh, you should be teaching Sunday school because you were playing these honky tonks. And he said, you know, do you think God is here in church? He's not in the honky tonks. And you said, God is everywhere. What are you talking about? God's in the honky tonk as well.
3: Yeah, and God paid me some money on the honky talk <laughs> God.
0: God kept putting in requests. Blue eyes crying in the rain. Come on, God. I've played it four times, God. I want it get- again. God, you've been overserved, God. <laughs> You know, it's funny. You talk about this a lot in the book and uh, that you are such, uh, in my encounters with you, you're, uh, you're such a kind, nice, gentle, witty guy. And you talk very frankly in this book about how when you would drink, you'd become a different person and that you'd be looking for a fight. Yeah. Uh,
3: my friend, all-time good friend, Paul English, used to be my kind of, he'd go with me wherever we go because whenever I get drunk, I don't want to fight. So he'd have to be there to help get me out of it, keep me alive. Yeah. And he would usually, I'd be too drunk to stand up and he'd roll up a fat joint and hand it to me. Next thing you know, I'm out in the bed sound asleep. Right. So he knew what to do. Right. Right. That's a good friend to have who always has a fat joint. Absolutely. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, absolutely. But you know, that is something that changed your life is you switched over to marijuana and you said it really did help mellow you out. And, uh, helped you be more contemplative, and helped you get off of the
3: cigarettes and the booze, which made a huge difference in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. The best thing that I did, really. You know, but all my life, I've smoked something. You know, I started out smoking cedar bark and grapevine, anything that would burn. So, uh, Do
0: you recommend that? Do you recommend smoking cedar bark?
3: <laughs> no, I wasn't that good. <laughs>
0: hey, Willie, we have a contest called Understatement of the Decade, and you just won. You just won Understatement of the Decade. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not that good. I got to tell but, you, Conan, but,
3: don't, because uh, I was yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah, don't doing do that it, today. Yeah. No, I, no, don't. don't.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're going to have you do a public service announcement. Kids, Willie Nelson, here. Don't smoke. Well, not to smoke. Don't smoke, Cedar Bark. (laughs) (laughs) I know you want to. I know you're feeling like this is what you got to do. I I have to say, this book is an absolute, I started reading it and I couldn't put it down. And again, I think it's a tribute to, I I go back to this all the time, but most of the artists I really admire uh, had to suffer a lot. And that's unfortunately probably part of the creative process, that the hard times you went through were probably essential to you being able to write those songs, don't you think?
3: Uh, yeah. A friend of mine, a preacher, said one time, that when you lose life or something, he said, it's, it's not something you get over, but it's something you get through. Yeah, And I thought that was a pretty good way of looking at it.
0: In your case, it's a mixture probably of you had a lot of talent, but you also went through an incredible amount of pain and disappointment over different periods of time plus you listened to every single kind of music and when you put that all in a blender you start waking up and i'm making it sound too easy but you've got a song like hello walls or funny how time slips away or nightlife or crazy it comes to you and it comes to you because you put in all that effort And then when your back was turned, it it was delivered to you. Does that sound feasible?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, Crazy was uh, an easy one to write. (laughs) Uh, Because I've always felt a little bit crazy. Yeah, And uh, uh, and I don't mind that. You know, a little bit's okay. But when Patsy Cline recorded that song, she did such an incredible job that She made that song the all-time favorite jukebox song.
0: I know. I mean, that changed everything because, well, first of all, I love this story of how you wrote that song and someone came to you and said, this would be great for Patsy Cline, who at the time is probably the biggest country star. And he said, let's go wake her up at home. And you can play it for her. Is this And, this, and that, that's, I mean, it does not seem like a good time to pitch a song to somebody. <laughs> you guys woke up I, Patsy Cline, is that right?
3: Well, her husband, a guy named Charlie Dick, was in Tootsie's Orchid Lounge there in Nashville. We were there together. It was uh, almost midnight. And uh, I had, had played crazy for him. On, and he said, Patsy's got to hear this. I said, no, it's too late. He said, come on you want to hear it so I didn't want to get out of the car he went in and she come back out of the car got me made me come in I sang crazy Uh, she recorded it the next week oh my god
0: and it's the most popular jukebox song of all time
3: ever yeah
0: I mean, good for her too. For I would have. If, if anyone wakes me up in the middle of the night, even if it's you, Willie. If Willie Nelson wakes me up at two in the morning and says I got a hit song for you, I say get the fuck out of my house.
2: <laughs>
0: get out from under my bed, <laughs> Willie. I'm tired of you pitching me songs in the middle of the night. I need my sleep. I got shit to do, Willie. Uh, that story. Uh, uh, it's, it, I mean, it's such an iconic song, and I think that probably gave you some freedom because then you start getting what used to be called, maybe they still call it, mailbox money.
3: Absolutely. And that sustained yeah. you that, and helped you
0: get on your feet a little bit.
3: Yeah, and uh, it allowed me to, I stayed in Nashville for a year and didn't do anything but write songs. And uh, raise hogs. Uh, lost a fortune raising hogs. By the way,
0: you lost money raising hogs. Oh God, yes. Were the yes. hogs embezzling? What, what? How does that? How did that? What happened? How
3: did you lose money raising hogs? Oh, I bought them for. X amount of, per pound and then sold them, fed them for six months and sold them a, later for less than what I paid for them.
0: <laughs> you know what, uh, uh, Willie, that is not a sound business theory. <laughs> no, it's not. No. And I had <laughs> they, they teach that at a Harvard uh, Business School. They say, don't do the, it's called the Willie Nelson hog raising method. It's, a, it's called, it's a classic mistake. It won't work. Well, I want to do this, I want to make sure that I get out the uh, the word on uh first Rose of spring It's available now, and I think it's it's your seventieth studio album, just a stunning achievement and I very sincerely recommend that everybody read me and Sister Bobby True Tales of the Family Band by Willie Nelson and his sister Bobby Nelson because it's about pretty much everything it's about family. It's about creativity. It's about pushing through adversity. It's about American history of the 20th century and songwriting and the music business and the good times and the bad times. And I can't say enough good about it. It really is a stunning piece of work. Willie, I want to let you go, but I will say this. Driving here today to talk to you, I said out loud in my car, I get to talk to Willie Nelson. I've had the chance to do that a few times And anytime I think about that, I almost tear up because – I did something right in the previous life. You—it's just a blessing. To, it really is a blessing to talk to you. It really is. Hey, the day—the day's not over yet. All right. So <laughs> here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to smoke. I'm going to smoke some of the coffee you sent me. There you. go. And then uh, that's going to keep me up for about five days. I'm going to start driving, and okay. I should be in Texas. And that's going to take about nine, nine, about ten hours. Come on. And I'll Come bring uh, I'll bring my 1946 Martin, yeah. and uh, I won't play it. I'll just <laughs> give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, really Nelson. Uh, thank you. God bless and uh, be well. You too. Have a good one. Take care. You know it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations.
1: But I like blaming it on not having reception.
0: I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. We are back. You know, people are always stunned by how much my mom looks like me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you a picture.
1: Yeah, she's so sweet.
0: Literally, if you look at pictures of my mom uh, when she was a little girl... It looks like me when I was a little girl.
2: <laughs> it's
0: pretty stunning. She looks so much like me. And I do think she is, I've said this before, but I do think my mother is probably one of the reasons I'm in comedy. Uh, she's funny in her way, in her own way, unique way. But she was like a perfect straight person, mm-hmm. you know? It, it, my mother always wanted to be, she always had a little bit of a regal quality. Yes. And she wanted to be well-mannered and she was taught to be well-mannered and to sort of talk like Margaret Dumont, the woman in the Marx Brothers movies, uh-huh. and sort of be like, well, okay, everybody. And if company was over, she was a little formal. And that would make me want to act like Groucho, because she'd say, all right, now please, you know, walk this way, if you will. And I'd say, well, if I could walk that way, you know. Oh, uh, we don't, geez. you know, I mean, But I, I'm serious, It was that would make me go even further. You're right. So I would say uh, things around my mom, and she would just say, well, that's just foolish. I don't like that at all. You stop it. And most of the time I was being silly, but then I realized about... 15 years ago, I was talking to my mom, and I realized that anything I said, she thought I was lying. She just assumed I was being a wise guy, even when I was telling the truth. So we were in a restaurant, and we were looking at the menus, and then my mom said... Putanesca sauce. Putanesca sauce. What is Putanesca sauce? And I said, Well, it's actually used to be uh, favored by uh, in poorer neighborhoods in Italy. They would just take anything that they had and they'd put it together, and it was called uh, Puta is is uh, a woman of the night. So the translation is literally, it's the whore's sauce. Putinesca means it's the whore's sauce. And she went, stop that. That's not funny. I don't like that even fooling. And I'd say, I'm not kidding. That's when she said, tell me right now what Putinesca means. And I said, it means, and then I would try and say it in a nicer way. It's uh, women who maybe would uh, walk the streets at night. I don't like this. Stop it. Just stop it. I don't like this even fooling. And that was her big thing. I don't like even even uh-huh. fooling. And then she would always call me, I guess it's an old Irish saying although I've never met an Irishman who knows this saying should say you're just being a bold stump that's what you are you're a bold stump like, what do you mean I'm a bold stump I'm telling you what putanesca means it's the sauce how old are you at this point, point I'm like 44 and I'm in a restaurant trying to convince her and she's like you're just being a wise guy like we and, and sort of in this tone of like we're gonna straighten you out when we get home you're gonna go right to your room no, no we're not <laughs> I'm drove us here (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting a hip replaced tomorrow I'm a mature man oh and that's what putinesca means but it really does I think I mean look it up someone validate this unless I'm
4: it's some say the name originated yes. in the brothels yes, of the sir, Spanish quarters. Yes. Yes. Whore is putana in Italian. Yes. Hence hey. okay.
0: okay. Some say that that name originated. This is the actual definition is that uh, puta, yes. which, uh, you know, was the uh, term for women who uh, worked in a brothel. <laughs> Prostitutes. Thank you. You could say prostitutes. Okay, but you're really you
1: dancing around. I'm not it. sure
0: about puta. But. I know. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, I was right, and I was trying to explain to my mother in nice terms, and she was like, "I don't like this. I don't like this." And <laughs> her big thing was, "I don't like this
1: even fooling." And I would say, "I'm not fooling." This is your fault. Why is it my fault? You you tell me yeah. things so many times that are serious, and I think the number one question I ask you all the time is, "Are you doing a bit?"
4: Yeah, you're the boy who joked wolf. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's- it's true. <laughs> you, no one who knows you really well takes you seriously anymore. Here's something I
4: used to do to
0: my mother. I would he say, didn't "Even hear that? You did it.
1: I know because know, know. he knows it's true." I,
0: here's something I would say. <laughs> here's something I used to say to my mother that she really didn't like. I'd be like, "You know what, Mom? I've, we have all, I have all these brothers and sisters, and I, I really love them. I love Luke, and I love uh, I love Kate, and I love Jane, and I, I really love Justin. And I'm just I just." I want to love Neil, but I just don't feel anything for him. She's like, I don't like this. I don't like this. You love your brother, Neil. And I go like, Mom, really, I wish I loved Neil. I just, there's nothing there. There's just nothing there. I try and she was like, I don't like this. I don't like this even fooling you're a bold stump. <laughs> like, I I and you know, obviously I love my brother Neil, but I like this thing that like mom, I'm trying. I've tried for many years. He's my oldest brother. But when I try and access love, there's nothing. There's just nothing. There's no emotion, and I have to be, I don't like this. Now maybe you should just go upstairs and think about what you said. What is
1: wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know.
0: You are a bold stump.
1: Yeah, and it seems like your mom is is one of your favorite targets for this. Like, you like to get her riled up. She was
0: so good at at being the straight woman mm-hmm. you know yes yeah, what are you talking about? about now what's
4: going on here i really want her to know the actual meaning of that sauce <laughs> it is <it's>, uh, <laughs> i know i know i want her to know i want her i want because to she be won't resolved. admit it
0: that's the thing about my family is nobody's going to admit anything no one has ever said in my family you know what i thought about it and you were right and i was wrong it's yeah, I not in our d- that with you you don't do that either are you wearing pajama bottoms Oh, <laughs> yes
1: look at That deflection that's what that is Matt that well I'm deflection.
0: sorry you look like a 1920s prisoner
4: when I put on shoes and dressed up for Michelle Obama and I thought it was appropriate to dress down for Willie Nelson
0: I think you did the right thing. That makes sense. But um, yeah, that's my, my, uh, my mom is never going to go, you know, I looked it up and yes, uh, putinesca sauce, many believe the name does derive from the brothels in the Spanish quarter. She's never going to say that. She's just going to stick with your, I don't like it. And you're being a bold stump. That's what she's going to stick with.
1: I like bold stump. I never went, I went
0: yeah. over, she was going to have, we were having a big party at our house and uh, this is, you know, still when I'm an adult, but I come by to visit my parents and a bunch of people are coming over in a few hours. Uh, I think one guest showed up early and was like wearing jeans or something. And my mom, who hasn't even dressed yet, saw them in the yard and was like, they're wearing jeans. I can't believe they're wearing jeans. And my mother turned to me and she's wearing a robe and the robe is kind of stiff, like it's overstarched. So it looks like she's, her hair is a mess. She's wearing a robe and she's got this, her robe uh, tied and it looks like a propeller on a 1915 (laughs) airplane and it's giant. And her hair is all over the place. And she said, doesn't that person know what kind of family we are? And doesn't he know what we stand for and that we O'Briens uh, are made of finer stuff? And I, I looked at her and I said, Mom, you look like boxcar Willie.
2: And she went, I don't like that.
0: I don't like that even fooling. And I said, Well, before you go criticize his jeans, you should go upstairs and take the propeller off.
1: How early did that guy come?
0: I don't know. He wasn't there that. She come just,
1: on. I'm just
0: telling you, I mean, these are stories from my past. I know. I like to tell a yarn every now and then about (laughs) the old days. The old days in Brookline, Massachusetts.
1: It really does give good insight into the person that you are and you've become.
0: I think I have my good qualities. What are they? Not sure. Okay. I would, maybe another podcast. Uh-huh. Hey, if you want to hear my good qualities,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: we're going to release them. <laughs> Episode 28 this year, we, I'm going to release my good qualities.
1: Oh, you can't even American, come up with
0: it. Well, no, it's one of these ways to get people to, <laughs> this is not me not being able to come up with my good qualities. This is me using it as a promotional tool. Oh,
1: okay. Uh-huh. And the, <laughs> for that one podcast. Yeah,
0: tune in. Episode 28, Conan's Good Qualities. It'll be 20 seconds long. It'll be, <laughs> hey, if we can get to 20, seconds <laughs> that will be fe- i'm gonna speak very slowly
4: <laughs> i always get rid
0: of loose change <laughs> that's, that's one of them that's it come on you have to make that uh, last 20 seconds i, I old stuff. always
4: get rid of loose change conan o'brien needs a friend with Sonam Obsession and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Beckton. in association with Earwolf.